0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Backstage With, conversations with your favorite theater actors and creatives. Hello, I'm Mikey Worrell, Today's guest is best known for playing Sloane in the original production and current touring production of Bat Out of Hell, the Meatloaf and Jim Steinman musical. But she recently left the show to go and have a baby, so this episode is a bit of a debrief, if you will. She made her West End debut in The Commitments and was in the closing cast of Billy Elliot in The West End. And just before Covid, she was playing Donna in the UK and international tour of Mamma Mia!. Bat Out of Hell first opened at the Manchester Opera House in 2017 before it transferred to the London Coliseum and then moved on to Toronto before it returned to the West End at the Dominion Theatre in 2018. It's had subsequent international productions and it was when the show was in Canterbury recently that I had this conversation with Sharon Sexton. You're in Canterbury this week. That sounds fun.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful. I've never been here before. It's actually gorgeous. Such a lovely place to visit. I'll definitely come back only here a couple of days, but already so much um, character in the streets and stuff. Mm. It's lovely. And what's
0: the theatre like? Is it big?
1: Yeah, it is. I think it's 1,200, 1,500 maybe. Okay. It's really well laid out. It's quite modern. It looks like it's been refurbished. It's all wooden paddling and stuff. Not the most ideal thing for rock sound. We had a we had to play around quite a lot. There was some funky sound happening yesterday, EQs and stuff, to try and make it work in the room. But it looks beautiful
0: yeah that's that's interesting so do you have quite complex sound check procedures for every new venue
1: we do yeah because as you can imagine with this kind of sound it's like bombastic Mm. so it's hard to get that level of volume but clarity with the best sound team in the world we really do they're incredible
0: brilliant so
1: yeah there's a lot a lot of playing
0: um, well, I have many questions. Um, if there are any black spots or if I say anything wrong, please forgive me. Because I ha- I saw the show at the Dominion in two thousand and eighteen, ah, so okay, it's been okay. a minute. Um, yeah. But I have refreshed myself uh, and done some reading on Wikipedia, so I am I am uh, I think I'm, I've got to grips with everything. Um, cool. But first of all, can you just kind of walk me through how this show entered your life? How it, at what point in your life it, it it arrived? But also, at what point in the show's development you arrived?
1: Well, I don't know why but I somehow came across the casting for this show while I was in another show and I wasn't able to do it and I remember seeing the casting breakdown going out going oh my god that looks amazing like I love meatloaf and I was one of the thousands of people in the world who thought they had the original idea of went, you know whose music would make a really good musical it would be by meatloaf and I remember having that conversation when I was in a dressing room in the Commitments with um, my dressing room buddies. Um, it was really funny that that was something that I was aware had been in the works for 50 years, <laughs> which is bad at hell. But um, yeah, I wasn't able to audition at the time, but I read the casting and I went, oh my God, I'd love to do that. And the show I was enclosed and I was back out hunting mm-hmm. and the show had been cast and the only role they hadn't cast was Sloan. Wow. And the breakdown went out again and then I went. Have they cast somebody? And has she dropped out? Or you know, maybe there's been. But no, they had. They just hadn't found her. So I was like, oh my god, I have to be seen for this.
0: So did you did you have a conversation with your agent at that point where you were like, what's going on? What's yeah. the down low? Like,
1: this is, yeah. What is this? This is. And I said, I remember reading this breakdown like six months ago and being annoyed that I couldn't go first. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we'll put you forward for it. You know, they're looking for a rock voice. It's your kind of sound, la, 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 let's see. And I was like, no. And then I got the material. And I was like, oh, not only is it my kind of sound, but it's like, it's funny. And it's so off the wall, quirky, weird. And, you know, you just, like, it really happens to me, but like when you get a script and straight away, you're saying the dialogue and you're going, right, I know I have to find the edge for this when I walk into the room. And make really strong decisions because I know this dialogue is tricky and I know not everybody's gonna be able to deliver it, but but I'm gonna try my best to make it make sense. And yeah, I just really felt an affinity with the characters straight away. Um and it never happened to me before in my life and it would probably never happen to me again. I went in, I did one audition, and I got the cap, I got I got the the part. Oh wow and I was used to doing five or six rounds for things And on the day of my casting, I went in and like we all do, you know, you're trekking across London. So I was in like trainers and I put on like stilettos because I was like, great, she definitely would be in the heel, sure, you know, leather trousers. And I kind of was like, we'd go for that meatloafy vibe video of, I just remember seeing all those music videos of these like ethereal looking girls with like these white satin silky things. So, you know, you're trying to dig out stuff that you go right I can make this kind of rock chic sexy thing I went in and I did the script I actually fell flat on my face on the way into the rehearsal oh. room yeah which made them laugh <laughs> Break one way to break the eyes Cast, the casting director said to me he's like just be careful when you go in the door there's a, a wire across the floor and I went yeah 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 <laughs> straight down on my face and he's like you know that's what I literally said to you I was like I know yeah so I made a joke and was like, okay, let's start that again. Oh, it was terrible. But anyway, did the 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 script, did a couple of scenes, came back out, put my trainers on and I was about to leave and the casting director came back out and he went, they just want to see you one more time before you go. And I went, okay, music, like, get back in there and sing for your life. So I was like, right. And I knew the way he said it to me, he was like, this is the moment that you need to, they want to test out one of the they didn't have all coming back to me as an audition song uh, they had sent me other stuff to learn so the musical supervisor just went just just do me a favor and just do the baby baby babies i was like yeah yeah no problem and you know that moment where you're going please come out yeah, yeah. <laughs> because all the adrenaline has just left my body because i thought oh, we were finished so i'm putting back on my I was running back in going Oh, yeah, hi, where were we? At least you didn't oh. jump
0: over the wire the second time.
1: I didn't, I didn't. And yeah, I, I got a phone call, about, I that audition was on the Friday, and on the Monday I got a phone call from my agent saying, um, and when he rang, I was like, please, please tell me that you are ringing to tell me that I have a recall for Bad Hell." And he went, babe, you got parts. <laughs>
0: nailed it did you leave the room after the doing the baby baby babies thinking it's okay I nailed it or like what was in your head but I
1: also saw amazing performers who I really admire in the waiting room and it was a it was such a funny vibe when I left because and it was that thing of like and I've, I've never been that person where um, I've been the person on the outside where I've seen somebody else walk out of the room and I've gone yeah she's got it, I'm wasting my time here and I've been there where I've seen them call somebody like you never know, you actually never know you could drive yourself absolutely crazy and as performers we generally do you know that weekend is like one of the longest weekends of my life and and that's why there's always people going, just give us a no if it's a no, because when you don't find out, it's terrible. You read the cast announcement online or somebody says it to you in passing, you know, outside a pub. Oh, no, that's been cast. Such and such is playing that role. And you're like, oh, right, okay, I just invested three months of my life in six callbacks, but that's fine. Oh. so um, But I've never been that person to walk out. And I walked out and I, I it, it was names of people who I know, who I've watched on stage, who I was a little bit in awe of, and I walked out just going, like girls, if they want me, I have just absolutely nailed that. Not in a cocky way, but sure. just in a kind of a that I've, I've given that my best shot, yeah. like a hundred percent. And it was um it was funny because before I went in I was all like, Can I just say I think you're amazing and I've seen you in this and I love this totally fangirling, yeah. And then when I came back out, they were all like, oh, yeah, lovely. Oh, there's only two of them, really. And they're like, oh, that's great. Yeah, thank you so much. And when I came back out, it was like, they iced me. Oh. And <laughs> so I was like, oh, oh. no. You think I got it, too? Did I get it? I don't know. And then went home for the whole weekend and it's like, let's not think about that.
0: While <laughs> constant, constantly thinking about it for the whole three days. Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, that's yeah. brutal yeah. that they
0: iced you. Oh, my God.
1: Not so much ice, but it was just, they, it, they heard that they brought me back in and put me through my paces and like those baby babies sailed out of me from pure, like the things your body can do in an audition room is incredible when you have the fear.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. But yeah, when I came
1: back out, it was a total cool, it was a different vibe.
0: Oh, yeah. so what happened after you got the call? Like what, what year was this when, what was the, then the timeline for This the
1: we were due to start rehearsals the end of November, 2016, and that was the beginning of October. Okay. So, yeah, that so it was tight for me. It was like in five weeks, bam, you're 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 starting. I was like, what? I remember the the day I got it. Like, it's such highs and lows. It's so good to talk about it to like just keep your feet on the ground as well. I had just gone in to be a model to get a free haircut in in Soho in a hairdresser is something I'd seen on one of these hustle Facebook groups of like, we're looking for models, actors, and I, like, I need a haircut, blah, blah, whatever. And I swear to God, I was so broke that I had the, I, I felt so bad because they were giving me the haircut for free that I had cash on me that I was going, right, I'll have to tip her or I'll have to get the, I'm, gonna have, I'm not gonna be able to get the bus home. Like I was that. Oh road. man. There's a show I was in closed like months earlier and I had been auditioning for ages and I was like, and I'm going to have to give the tip and change because I don't have notes. So like, is that going to be enough? And I was so like, "You you go through peaks and valleys like that when you're really working and when you're not. And I gave away my money and I was like, all right, I'll walk a little bit closer to home and I'll jump on the bus or whatever and I'll just give the cash but I felt embarrassed giving coins and whatever because they do such a lovely job and as I walked out of the hairdressers I looked at my phone and I had like six missed calls from my agent come call me and that was the phone call where he was like you got the part. I swear to God, it burst into tears. I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah, it was such a cool moment, such a cool, a life-changing moment. Yeah. Absolutely life-changing moment. But
0: also, it sounds like a a real circumstantial need at that point.
1: Yeah, totally, completely, yeah. Because London is an expensive place to be. It is. It is, you know, and it's hard. And obviously, my family are in Ireland, so I don't even ever have that kind of, I never had that, um comfort of you know well look if things run out I'll go home for a while and pop back down to London it's, it's a big deal when you leave to to move over as well mm. you know it's good timing
0: yeah gosh so as soon as you heard about it this was this was a must-do job so when you oh, yeah. walked in to rehearsals on the first day did you did you know any of the faces did you know anyone else in the cast or were you going in and what, what were you feeling
1: no I knew nobody I I I did a bit of Googling when the cast came through. Love that. Yeah, and I saw that Christina Bennington was uh, Northern Irish, and I was like, oh, that's interesting, and that they'd gotten some American guy to play the lead, and that uh, there was this weird hot guy coming over from Germany, who was actually English, Rob Fowler. I was like, okay. Um, But we'd never met each other. We'd never met each other. So, yeah, I walked into rehearsal on day one, and it was just the script wasn't ready and I hadn't done a dance call. And so we had choreography for the first two days, three days, I think, before the script was ready to read and to go through. And I just remember going, also if anybody has seen Bad Out of Health choreographies, Emma Portner's choreography is so um, unique and different. It's not standard musical theater, it's not a style, it's Emma Portner's style and it's so, it's just tricky. So, like, I'm not a natural dancer, but I've done all the classes and I can I can fluff my way through anything, you know. But this was on another level. And I was just like, oh, no, I'm so out of my depth. I don't know. And then it got to the thing of, I don't know what this show is going to be because the music is great. The choreography is doing one thing. The story is now going somewhere else. It's not really finished. It's a bit, there's a lot of money being thrown at it but it was a bit of a like crazy, crazy time. There was stuff changing and edits happening every day. And and it was like, you know, it it wasn't small changes. It was massive. And I've been part of creating uh, an original cast before with the commitments, but from that you're working from a book that already exists. Mm. So you're finding stuff out, but you've got like a blueprint whereas with Bad Out of Hell, there was nothing. So it um, it was such an intense, few weeks yeah it yeah was, it was and, and such a great few weeks as well like how often do you get to do that yeah do you know to just come in and go i have an idea and they go yeah take it suck it in now it's part of the fabric of the show
0: was there was there any anxiety though that came with that sort of that that being on that fresh path that was literally being paved right in front of you were, were you ever worried that it wasn't going to be good
1: yeah. Yeah, I was. <laughs> yeah, I definitely was. Because then also you've got like Jay Shive, who's this amazing director, off the wall, kooky guy who's coming in going, now we're also going to have live camera footage. And, like, Which it's at so that time hadn't really because... been done. No, not at all. And what's so bizarre is like, now that we know that that exists, it's like, right, the auditions were bad out of hell. They're going to make you sing this. They're going to make you... You belt out these notes. They're going to make you try and do this kind of choreography. You also need to be able to act on screen. You also need to be able to, you know, physically do stuff like Paradise. And you need to be able to, like, you know, all these riffs and all these things that have become part of the show. But if I had to jump through those hoops at the audition stage, I didn't even think I was capable of doing those things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it it was it was quite a journey, and I will, a hundred percent say that um, if I didn't have um, incredible people around me, and working with somebody like Rob Fowler, I don't think I would have had the confidence for a lot of it. But even vocally, like Rob has, he's done so much more work than me. But he he was just so throw you know, my, my my thing is like the director will tell me what to do and I know my place and if I'm asked an opinion I'll share a bit. Whereas Rob is like just there's all my ideas and he's constantly throwing stuff out which I found really overwhelming but also inspiring because I was like, okay maybe maybe we could do this and we ended up creating so much of the Falco and Sloan stuff together. Like for anybody who's seen Bad Out of Hell as well, like it was for and a half hours long originally mm. and it had to be scaled back and our first duet in the show Who Needs the Young is so different to any other music in the show it's like this weird Wagner piano kind of like just kind of I don't know what like a Brechtian almost kind of song it's just so bizarre it doesn't match any of the other stuff and I remember everybody was like well, that's going to go. That's that's going to be one of the first ones to get cut. and also because it was really it's like the second song in the show. Mm. So I remember hearing people discussing it, going, "You know, that's going to be the first one to get the chop because it's just going to set in so clean the complete the raw path, what they think this show is." And me and Rob having the conversation together, going, "If we don't make this work, it's going to go." So like we went off into a room and we were coming out to stage management. Like, I would never have the balls to do this, but Rob was coming out going, can we have, possibly have a shower in the set? And they're like, uh, uh I don't know. I mean, we can ask. Yeah, ask, because we might want to do something with a shower. We're thinking of making this like a family scene, like to kind of establish the relationship. And they're like, okay, but you can't have a shower. Can we have a bed? Can we have a couch? And then I'm like, oh, maybe can I have a cushion? And, you know, you're building this stuff, and then you're presenting it, and the director all of a sudden goes... Hey, this could be something different. This could be, you could really use this song to really establish the dynamic between these two. Like now, it's one of my favorite parts of the show because it's so mental. You just come out and you go, "Well, this is the Falcos but yeah, stuff like that to have that freedom and that support to like create will probably never happen again.
0: Yeah, it it is am- I remember watching that scene and being like, "What is happening?" But like it was, yeah. the, but th- that speaks for the whole show, though. To be fair, like we'll talk about some of the other bits later uh. on. But one of one of the things I'm really interested to ask you about, I obviously saw this in the Dominion in the West End, which is a vast space, mm-hmm. and it was really like built out into the wings. And I remember I'd seen We Will Rock You in there, and and what that would look like. And then I walked in. And was like, oh, my God, like the fact that it was built out into the wings and it was just so huge. It made it feel Mm. like an arena. So when I mean, obviously, that wasn't the first venue you did it at in London. You obviously did it at the Coliseum and you had been in Manchester and Toronto. But the Manchester venue, I'm guessing, was not comparable in size to the Coliseum and the Dominion. So how did they cope with moving such a vast set between these different sizes of spaces?
1: It was very technical, and there was a lot of problems, and there was a lot of things that they didn't foresee that they had to figure out on the go. And that's kind of bad out of hell. And I suppose it's the nature of the beast, isn't it, with theatre? It doesn't matter how well you plan stuff or how well you can execute a get in or whatever or put into somewhere. There's always things like that. But I remember it was, um, it was intense but yeah it very much dominates the whole space and that's with the soundscape as well as soon as you walk into the theater it makes you feel like you're in another world and that's the whole point of of bad out of hell it is that kind of weird kind of feeling like you know you're in a different time and even when that opened like in 2017 that felt a bit strange and like genuinely now it feel like the world has caught up with Bat out of hell if that makes sense, yeah, that now totally. we're all into these immersive things and, you know, now all of this, like, even with, like, the the um, characters in the ensemble, like, you know, that was, like, ahead of its time in terms of pushing boundaries of, like, transgender and of, like, you know, mm. open gay relationships and of it just being completely fluid and wacky in its style that now you're kind of going, and you feel it in the audiences as well, they feel it, they feel I don't want to say safer, but they do. They feel they embrace it much more and find the the warmth and the humour in the show. I find that on the road, but yeah, they've they've done a really good job with this tour of scaling down. And I hate to say scaling down, but it is you're essentially scaling down that massive production that you've seen to make it possible to tour it, and it looks, having been on the show for years, it looks so impressive still. Like when we, I had no idea how they were really going to do it, but they have, they've managed to take out a couple of things that you would never, seemed essential, but that you would never miss. And that even us who've been in the show are going, Was that ever there? Did that used to be there? If you hadn't seen the bigger versions, you wouldn't know. Do you know what I mean? So it's really, it's been, it's been really cleverly done. That's John Bosser, who's the brains behind the set. He's just like, yeah. In, and the whole look of the show, the whole style its just he's very, very, very clever.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's so impressive. I mean, um, I guess we can talk about spoilers because it's been open for a little while now. Um, but when the car goes into the orchestra pit, I remember sitting in the Dominion and being mm-hmm. like, are they? Surely they can't. Surely they won't. Oh, my God, they really are. And it, and it's mm-hmm. like it 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 it's, it was so ahead of its time because it was it was shocking but in a really good way because it literally was pushing the boundaries of what we all thought was possible in a theatre.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
0: like, does that still happen on on tour?
1: It doesn't. The whole car can't go in the pit because of the logistics of touring and different pit sizes and stuff. But they've done something that's quite as impressive of an effect of parts of it going. So you still get that kind of shock factor of whoa! Did that just happen? Yeah. Um, and the aftermath of what that does to the orchestra and the musicians and the things, and it is kind of in a mainstream brain, which I had to get my head around. Like working with somebody like Jay Scheib it is very much. If you make a joke in the room, be careful because it could go in. <laughs> so, like, if he say like, "Oh my god, how amazing would that be? If we did that," you just see his eyes tick like a child and go, "Could we do that?" hey, maybe we could do that. And that's how the water trick at the end came about as well, because he'd asked for this puddle and Who Needs the Young initially was me and Rob walking over dead bodies, smoking cigarettes, stamping in puddles and Rob was going to fall into, Falco fell fell into the puddle immediately at the beginning. And then they were like, right, now that Who Needs the Young has changed, what are we going to do with this thing? And it wasn't until somebody was like, you know, well, maybe we could do this and maybe we could do this. And I remember it was like at the first Honest to God, it was like the day before the first preview. It's like the last day of tech. And then somebody was like, Oh yeah, and then he could it could be like the baptism of youth and he could come out in a different costume. And you just seen Jay go, Rob, would would you be up for trying it? And Rob, like, yes to anything, it was just like, Yeah, hundred percent. And you could just see every department in the wings like the sound are just going the microphones he's got two microphones the wigs are going put the wig and Roger we're going you want to do what you want to <laughs> get magnets on a suit underwater and stage manager going can we do this for health and safety and he's like yeah okay yeah let's try
0: wow that's quite frightening isn't it because you're like oh every day were you going in going oh my god what are they going to do to us today
1: mm-hmm. exhilarating yeah. yeah
0: oh totally yeah. and i guess kind of liberating because i, I guess you can you yeah. all you can say as well how often is this going to happen to me in my life
1: And that's what I mean. And that's what I mean when you get somebody like, like Rob just ran with it, you know, and was like, can we get this? Can we get this? And then (laughs) all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, yeah, me too. me too." (laughs) Give me a cushion. (laughs) Yeah, I'd like this too. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, So So. when when you were in the really, really big spaces and you're, and there's that raised platform with the bedroom, um, but even on, I guess, on Mm -hmm. the floor of the stage where you had your sofa, like, that was such a vast space. Was it easy? Was it, was it hard to feel like you could fill that space when there were just the two of you on stage or, or was it almost like a challenge?
1: Well, it's funny now with the tour because we had like walls that used to come in and we had like a family portrait and we had like, you know, there was a drinks cabinet and there was um, a chandelier and obviously all of that has been taken away. Mm. So now we have a couch. So at the beginning of that, we were a bit like, oh, it feels a bit, like we're a bit isolated do you know what i mean it's a lot of space to fill and that's when you know you're working with somebody on stage that you there is bye say hi rob Rob. bye (laughs) (laughs) i'm just delivering the coffee thank you um but yeah he uh but that's when you're working with somebody and you're like right when you also have that freedom to go right how do we take this off a couch and how do we make it make sense and how do we fill it and what do we do and every time we move the show to a different venue we get to play around and go maybe we could try this, maybe we can fill this and and it's funny because you've got to try and make sense of that with like being on tour as well mm. that when we came back into it we were like we had worked obviously with Benita was our, our um, director for this version and then Jay came in and, and kind of sprinkled his magic on it for the last couple of days but he came in and he went let's move it forward and let's move more with the idea now that the Falcos are fighting for a street corner this house that they used to have, this mansion and this richness, he was like "If, if we've got to make sense of now you just having a couch and a bottle of whiskey, let's make it that you're holding on desperately to try and keep these structures of society and of the richness of the life you used to have intact, But realistically, you're in the walking dead in a car park. Yeah. And that, no one in the third or fourth row who's out for their rock and roll on a Saturday night is probably gonna think twice or care too much about that. Your average punter isn't. But for us, then that changes it completely. Yeah, it has to make go, sense, doesn't it, to now you? this, Now this makes sense to me. And now also, it raises stakes a little bit more and it makes everybody a bit more vulnerable. Mm. And, and then you're kind of going, what about the bedroom upstairs with, cause that still exists in the touring production with the opulence of the, the mirror and the bed yeah. and the, that's a very, like a jewelry box, you know, mm. her room. And it's like, well, and, and that's up to us to make sense of it. In my head, I'm going, anything that they have that they can keep or that they can hang on to is going to the princess oh the jewel that's like great that's, that's her that's her domain and that's where they want to keep her so they're going to put everything into that or then you've got like i don't know is it like is it a memory is it a flashback to the past is it even their reality it's kind of out there but like i love doing stuff like that how much more exciting is that than coming in and going well in the last production we did it this way so walk from a to b and say the line at this moment you know yeah, it's that's so much really better refreshing yeah, and then people go, why do you want to come back like to the show that you've done before? And I'm like, there you go, because they care. where else do you get that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
0: great. That's so good. Um, so how was it coming back after after COVID?
1: Oh, man, we were ready for it. It was weird. Like, it was in one way you were so ready for it, because it was like it felt like it was never going to happen. And then, obviously, and this is something within the industry in general, I know from people who've spoken about it and friends that we've invited in each other, you have that fear as well of like shit can I still do it Mm. you know because it's a muscle and like when you don't do it for a long time even if you are out of work as a performer for a long time you're constantly exercising that muscle that part of your brain because you're gigging or you're auditioning or you're learning other stuff where it was like to pick that up and go again was um couldn't ask to do it on a better show with a better cast with better people around me. To be honest with you, but yeah, um, it was mentally it was a bit weird.
0: Where was your first venue?
1: We were back in Manchester, which is where the show opened originally. Brilliant, and that was a massive help. Yeah, because it was just that feeling of safety for me and Rob anyway, because we are the we're the only two originals that are back, and everybody else in the cast is new. So everybody else in the company, it was their first time. We have a whole new uh, stage management team and a whole new, like, the big production people are still the people that are involved, but everybody else around us was new. So for me, it was really um, comforting because going back to Manchester and going, OK, I love this city and I, I know people love the show here. But um, a lot of pressure as well.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I know it's it's so sad, um, obviously, given Meatloaf's recent passing, um, but I'd love to ask you about that that time because it must have been so surreal. Yeah. Um, you were in Wimbledon on the day that the news broke. Can you mm-hmm. walk me through that day and then the show that night?
1: It was really weird. I woke up first and looked at my phone and I had like seven messages and loads of missed calls. And I saw the names of the people who had texted me first and it, it didn't make sense because yeah. I was going... Do you know? I was like, "What's the common denominator here?" I've got like four messages from my mum, my auntie, somebody I went to school with, somebody you know, <laughs> somebody just a really who I used to do range of did a show with, some random woman that used to like oh, my dog walker. <laughs> like, you know, really, like I was going, "Why does it really? What is it? And then, yeah, when I read them, and a couple of my best friends as well, and some of them were just like, "Oh my god, no! Hope you're okay." And I'm like, "What is going on?" So yeah, and then I woke up and I was like, uh, meatloaf's passed away." It was just so bizarre. So yeah, it was a it was a it was a tricky day, and then obviously everybody in the company started to talk to each other. We had our company manager and our um, producers and some directors get in touch, and I think a lot of the world turned to bad Out of Hell" because they wanted to. It was a focal point. Mm as well because it was meat, you know, and it was, we were still doing it and it was on that night. So it was bittersweet because it was great for the show in a way that there was a lot of publicity that had to be done that day. But like from the, the moment we got up, they basically said to us, how soon can you start? And I was like, "Great, right, let's get a coffee and let us have uh, a shower and gather ourselves. And um yeah, and let's celebrate them. So like we we kind of talked to each other about him really, really like between ourselves as well because you go through all those memories and I'm like oh my god when we met him and what his music meant for me and the first time I've seen his video and I had such an affinity with his music when I was younger like I said just the voices and the rock sound and like just the, the never-ending range you know what I mean and meeting him as well I have such lovely fond memories and it was just that it was very surreal. But then, yeah, we got, we started doing some press interviews and articles and stuff. And then as we were doing that, we were getting emails and going, we're planning something for tonight. We we're not sure. Well, like, nobody had a plan. Yeah. So it was actually Rob's idea to do a reprise of Rock and Roll Dreams because it's so fitting. And I think originally they were, I don't know what they were planning on doing because our encore is Good Girls. He never sang it, and you know, you, so you're having those really weird technical questions, mm. and then you're also feeling quite emotional, and then you're also doing like press for the show, but you're you're doing it, and you're kind of going, I know that if there was anything that Meatloaf um, and Jim would both want, it would be for the focus to be on the music and keeping it alive and keeping it going. You know, worked for decades to get this show off the ground and put so much like meat walk away from so many work opportunities to invest time in gym and they really believed in each other and in this project. So I'm like, do you know what, if it spreads the word about the music, I had I don't feel bad doing it at all because I know they're up there going go go go, you know. So Yeah. Yeah, it was a funny old day. Um and then it was a uh, wasn't until it was kind of all over, you know what I mean? And then we went in and we did the show straight away and kind of didn't really rehearse Rock and Roll Dreams. Kind of half, somebody was like, can you do a speech? Which myself and Rob patched together. And you're like, oh, okay. And, and yeah, it was it was just um, it was a bit mad. And then afterwards it was like, God, that happened. He's gone.
0: Yeah, because yeah, there was He's just gone. no time to actually process it, I guess.
1: no not until afterwards and you know when something happens like that everybody's reaching out to you going that's so sad so this and you haven't had time to mm. actually feel it so you're just like yeah yeah saying the words but it's not we actually spent the whole weekend indulging ourselves just for ourselves in his old music videos and concerts and documentaries and a couple of movies and stuff that he'd done
0: yeah i mean i guess, I guess it's it's a good way to deal with it but Did you have time to take a breath before the show? Because after all of that, like, busy running around and speaking to everyone, like, you still had to go and do the show. So, like, did you have a moment where you were kind of, like, backstage going, okay, let's just gather ourselves? Or was it just literally, like, full throttle, go straight out? No.
1: In some ways, it's probably good that I didn't, because we just went, we finished one interview, and we went bam, 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 and we went out to warm up which is usually very focused and it was a totally different energy. And our lovely dance captain had done a playlist mm. of meat. Oh. And so it was very celebratory, but you're still trying to focus on the show. And then the next thing, the half just goes like that. Somebody was like, did you eat something? There's a, d- a delivery. Got to sort food. We're on. And you're still trying to do the words of the speech and remember it because we didn't want to come out and read it. We wanted it to look, of course, you know, professional, but we also wanted to be genuine as well. Yeah. So, you're kind of going right, and it's not until actually all, everything was done that we were standing on stage doing rock and roll dreams that <laughs> I just went, "Oh wow!" It was like a, Whoa. yeah, it was quite sad. And actually, when we left that night, we got home and we were on the way home. We were like, um, "When I say home, we like we were going back to our yes yeah. And we uh, sent a message to the very, very first original cast i'm getting sad now i'm sorry no no but just saying you know it's such a special thing when you create a show like that with that people you do become a family and we were just like we you know we thought of you all today it was really it was a strange day it was sad that we couldn't things like when things like this happen you can't plan them i'm sorry we weren't all together everybody so strange every single person that was a part of that company that day was like (sighs) reaching out going oh wow yeah it was lovely Mm.
0: what was what was the vibe from the audience like did it did you feel it from the from right from the beginning of the show or was it unleashed on you at the end
1: yeah no you felt it from the beginning we did a little tribute at the beginning of the show and there was um, a massive round of applause and it was already said that we'd be performing at that night in his honor and like that is one thing you can like Steinman and Meatloaf the fans are like hardcore Mm. like this music matters to people it really matters to people they have grown up with it they have gone through life-changing moments with it it resonates so deep and like that was something that I was not prepared for when we got cast in the show and when the show started originally I was like wow there's already a huge fan base that exists and it's So there was a lot of them that came to Wimbledon that night and that weekend. So yeah, it was lovely.
0: I mean, I'm guessing because of COVID and stuff, stage door's not really been a thing. Have you had much communication with the fans? Have you been able to kind of share that emotion and just that moment?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's why social media is fantastic because you can, and you can be in the headspace to give them what they want as well when you're on there. We, We felt so much love and support for them and it was so wonderful seeing even beyond the fan base of the show just seeing like the charts that week there was nine albums in the top 10 that were all meatloaf albums within 24 hours and you're like how many other artists can you even name that have nine albums i don't think i can to their name that is worth going there's the top 10 you know it's amazing
0: yeah it's huge
1: yeah it just makes you go god i'm so happy that people still appreciate that work that those guys did yeah it's awesome
0: do you think it will it will change the rest of the tour for you do you think that you sort of carry that not grief but just sort of that tribute now in a way that maybe you weren't aware of it before he died
1: yeah i think it was always because we knew how special the show was to jim that it was always you always felt a sense of like responsibility to do it proud and i think because we care so much about the show as well which i think you could see comes across and the fact that we're still here years later and we care so much about the roles and stuff that we're quite passionate in a way of like it matters a lot so yeah there's always been that responsibility but you do feel a little extra kind of a protection about it i guess you know you never wanted to Become border down or com- so commercialized that it has to have that kind of wackyness, boundary pushingness that it, it, it's always needed to exist. And that's the essence of Jim and me. I mean, Meatloaf is the most untypical looking leading man ever. You know what I mean? Like, just from his physique and Jim Simon song, went, that's the voice I want. And jim steinman's music he doesn't think it's a real song if it's under six minutes so you know like again that stuff is like the people who've created the show are so loyal to that vision as well you kind of are like the responsibility is to when you say keep the flame of rock and roll alive it really is to like never let that go like somebody like jim would be on rehearsals in a darth vader mask and be like uh i want one of the lost to have a chainsaw and I want her to come out and like just start chatting up bodies. And you're like, okay. <laughs> All right then. <laughs> we'll try it. <laughs>
0: Brilliant. Um, well, it's been such a pleasure to chat to you. Thanks for taking the time.
1: Thank you. It's really lovely, actually. Nice little trip down memory lane. Thank you. All
0: right, take care. Have a great show.
1: Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: You can see Bat Out of Hell on its UK and Ireland tour, which continues with dates in Eastbourne, Bradford, Milton Keynes, Southampton, Blackpool, Plymouth, Newcastle, Bristol, Belfast, Dublin, Hull, Cardiff, Liverpool and Woking before it returns to London at the Peacock Theatre in February next year. I'll be back soon with another guest from the theatre world, but until then, thank you for listening.